0: I'm Lark Miller, and today you will hear my story on San Francisco People.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to San Francisco People. This is Frank Garza, and I'm excited to introduce you guys today to Lark Miller on the show. He is a personal trainer, and he's the founder of Infinite Fitness, Um, which is in the Bentley Reserve Building in downtown San Francisco. And I met Lark through Eric Wiseman, who was my guest back on episode 15. So on today's show, um, we're eventually going to walk through Lark's journey to becoming a fitness trainer and opening up Infinite Fitness. Uh, Lark grew up in a very small town in Massachusetts that had more cows than people. Uh, He competed at a high level in cross-country skiing, in mountain biking and in road cycling um, as he was growing up. And uh, he also had a stint as a life coach um, and shared some interesting experiences from, um, from that time. Uh, Lark got certified as a fitness instructor, and then he started his one-on-one fitness instruction actually by going door-to-door in his neighborhood and inviting his neighbors to work out with him Um, on the streets and on the sidewalk of his neighborhood. So I thought that was really cool. Lark gives us some tips for how we can be more healthy. I feel like most people in San Francisco are already pretty healthy, but how can we take it to the next level? What's some additional things we can do to be healthier? Uh, Lark has some tips around that. He lives in the DeBose Triangle, and he shares his favorite spots in the hood there, as well as throughout San Francisco. So let's go talk to Lark.
0: First moved to my hometown. I was two years old, and there were 300 permanent residents in the town. Nice. And about 600 cows. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the cows could have taken over.
0: The cows were taken over. It was a big, it was a big problem. That's why they called me in. Okay. Um, well, no, wh-
1: where were you born originally?
0: I was originally born in Shelburne, Massachusetts. Okay. And my parents lived on a farm. There were uh, lots of meadow larks in the field, which is how I got my name, Lark. My father thought it would be a good idea to uh, call me, name me after a bird All for right. some reason. But ask me, I didn't
1: even know what a meadow lark was. What does a meadow lark look like?
0: It's just it's a pretty little brown bird with a yellow patch on its chest. Okay. And the only thing really distinctive about the lark as a bird is that it um, sings in flight. Okay. Oh, so cool. I I read that it's the only bird that sings in flight. I'm not, I don't know if yeah. that's actually true or not, though. Or are you an artist yourself? Do you sing?
1: No. Based on that? You no? don't want to hear me sing.
0: <laughs> My girlfriend, she can sing. Yeah? We'll listen to her sing all day, but. Okay.
1: And so you said the name of it was what that you were born in? What was Shelburne? it? Shelburne. Shelburne. And then when you were two? Moved to Heath. You moved to Heath. And that yeah. was a town of just like 300 people. but that's 600 right. cows. Yep. And uh, so, and then did you live there all the way through high school?
0: Yep. Lived there all the way through high school. Um, we moved away for a short period. My parents built a house and we lived in a neighboring town for a year while I was in high school and then moved, moved back to Heath where, uh, my parents still reside. Oh, so my father passed there. away, but my mom moved back with my stepfather. Now there's 800 permanent residents. It's growing so it's really blowing up. Awesome. Yeah.
1: Well, that is small. I consider myself from a small town, but we had 10,000 people. So, uh, you're like those towns I drive through on my way to like Tahoe or something like that, where it says like population, like 200. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it is really, you know, I bring people back there and say, wow, you really live out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So
1: what was high school like then? I would imagine that You know, you're trying to like get girlfriends, but you only have like
0: five to 10 to choose from that are in your range. It got really incestuous. (laughs) 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 You know, all of my friends and I were basically had all the same boyfriends and girlfriends that Uh we passed around back and forth to each other throughout high school. Yeah, there were, uh, there were. It was a big eight-town region, though, and there were some other towns around there that were a little bit better populated, so by the time I got in high school, there were, um, you know, 800 kids in my high school. Okay. Yeah, and half of those were in the middle school, seventh and eighth grade, so the population was growing really fast at that point. Okay. It's leveled off a little bit now, but... All right and then
1: um i think i read you went to college is it umass
0: yeah i went to marlboro college for a couple of years in southern vermont which is also you know very very tiny little college 200 students oh wow so you wanted yeah. to keep it small yeah well my high school girlfriend and i we collaborated and decided to go there together we we're very much in love we, we broke up while we were there <laughs> <laughs> And uh, she went. She moved on, and I stayed for another year, and then and then I went to University of Massachusetts. I started to feel very pigeonholed there. Yeah. In terms of, uh, it was very expensive, and I was doing environmental science, and I love. I consider myself an environmentalist to this day. But um, the science track, I just didn't feel like I really gelled or got along with the students in my program mm-hmm. nearly as much as with the students who were doing the you know, philosophy major or history or English majors. Right. So I bounced over to University of Massachusetts and started doing anthropology. Okay. And had some amazing professors, had an incredible time, graduated with anthropology degree and went on to do absolutely nothing with it. Right.
1: (laughs) So how many students were at um, University of Massachusetts then? 50,000. Okay. So what was that like going from... It small was small town, everything small town college. Yeah. And now you're in this like gigantic community of people. Did well, i tell you,
0: it was such a breath of fresh air. I felt like I was so free because at Marlboro college, like everybody knew everything about everybody and everything that everybody did got aired to everybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to the students, faculty, staff, there were no secrets in that place. And not that i was a guy who wanted or needed to keep a lot of secrets It just, it felt after a while, it felt like, you know, people look at you and they think they know who you are and to walk into a new place where nobody knew me and I was able to kind of reinvent myself was very exciting.
1: Cool. Yeah.
0: So I read that you,
1: um, played or competed semi-professionally in cross country skiing, road biking, and mountain biking. That's true. And you've told me a little bit about the skiing, but that was mostly downhill skiing you were
0: doing. Yeah, that right? was all during high school. And okay. then after when I went to college, I started becoming more passionate about um, Nordic skiing, okay. cross-country skiing.
1: So tell me about how you competed in cross-country skiing and like to what level you got, you got to.
0: Well, Mom, when my, my dad passed away when I was 20. So I took a semester off from college and moved back home with my mom because I was an only child, so it was just the three of us. And my dad died, he was quite a lot older than my mom. He's 35 years older than my mom. Wow. So he died at 78. He was a very youthful man then. The day he died, he went out to the woods and he cut down a, a tree that was like two and a half feet in diameter with a bow saw Hmm. and cut some limbs off of him, dragged him up to a studio. He was a writer and worked on some stuff, came up and had lunch, went back down and uh, did some more writing. Then he was like cutting up some more wood in the evening before dinner. And he had a heart attack and died. So we, it was just, you know, I spent my whole childhood thinking that he was about to die. Mm-hmm. And then I finally relaxed about it like, oh, okay, he's, you know, he's an old, he's older than my mom, but he's not like he's about to pass away or anything. And then he just suddenly died a, of a heart attack. So it was really shocking for my, myself and my mom. So I moved back home with her and um, there was really, you know, not a lot to do in the winter in Massachusetts. So I started, I got a job uh, teaching cross country skiing. I started training seven days a week. Uh, got this amazing coach from Boston to help me out with some stuff. I gave him cross-country ski lessons, and he wrote up training programs for me, and uh, which involved weight training and skiing. And uh, I guess that year, I uh, I won the base State Games for my age category, which is. Exciting! The Bay State the games. The Bay State games. Is that games. like
1: what? Like Eastern? Um, shore Like yeah, regional Massachusetts, or? New
0: Hampshire, and okay. Vermont. Okay. And um. Yeah, that was that was ex- that was an exciting time. That was really fun. I found that I had this good great cardio capacity, and yeah, and uh, did you think about taking it to the next level? You know, like with, Olympics or anything? like that? With all this stuff, it was like. No, like this whole winning the base day games was not really actually that big of a deal. When like if I if a lot of the college students had been, you know, the younger guys were like killing me, and there were some older guys who were killing me too. I just happened to be like right in this age pocket where I could win, could win okay. for my age category. And I had a very similar experience with the mountain biking. Um, you know, I found immediate success at it, and then I was really good at it in the local arena. And then you step outside into a slightly bigger arena and you find oh, there's the whole the comp- level of competition goes up significantly. Mm-hmm. It's happened to me over and over again in my life. I was really good at ping pong in Marlboro <laughs> College where there were 200 people. And then, yeah. <laughs> like one of the best, one of the best three students out of all those 200. And so the three of us, we went to a tournament tournament in Boston and found out that there's a whole other <laughs> level to the yeah. game. And, you know, these guys were sponsored and they had Elise shoes and shirts and, you know, butterfly headbands and they mm-hmm. were just destroyed us. <laughs> <laughs>
1: nice. Well, what about the road cycling? Because that's one of my passions that I've gotten into the last couple of years. It's It's just so
0: much fun. I love yeah. it. You know, we have a this road biking mecca in, right yeah. up in Marin. Oh, yeah. And uh, there's just such fantastic, s- silky, smooth roads. Back in Massachusetts, there are m- amazing roads for road cycling, too. I'm talking like some of the most scenic roads that you'll ever ride down. And with the populations in the hundreds in these towns, you don't see very many cars either. So I got super spoiled riding around out there. And there's um there's lots of communities of cyclists. You know, all the bike shops have their rides that they do and there's races going on all the time during the summer. Um, it was really, really fun part of growing up and being adolescent back there, getting involved in that scene and just riding through the most scenic landscapes you can possibly imagine. And then you know, it, the same thing happened to me with the road, with the bi- road biking, the mountain biking, and the cross country skiing. So I found that I would work really hard and be really dedicated and eat right and train really hard and go to bed early on Friday night so I could get up at six o'clock in the morning and put my bike in the car and go to the race and, you know, check in, get my number, check out the course, wait around for my race to start. Absolutely destroy myself to the point where I could barely drive home (laughs) and get home at like eight o'clock at night, be dead dog, dog tired the following day. And that's a whole weekend can revolve around that race. If you want to go as fast and hard as you physically can for two hours, it it takes a whole weekend. And if you want to be really good at it, it takes months and months and years of preparation beforehand all for that one moment. And at a certain point, I looked at it and I said, "I really love to ride my bike, but you know I could get up, drink a coffee, read the paper, go for a nice medium based ride, mm-hmm. and then go out to dinner with my friends, and like there was another I just found that there was uh, there were other ways that I could enjoy riding besides being really competitive with it. yeah. And that the comp- So you
1: were competing in a lot of races?
0: Yeah. yeah. I had a sponsorship from, um, well, for the road biking, not so much. I've, I've done quite a few road bike races. But with the mountain biking, I went a little deeper into it. I got a sponsorship from Kona. They make bikes, the Hawaiian company. And the local bike shop sponsored me too, which didn't mean a whole lot. All Basically, they paid for my end race fees and took care of my bike for me. And Kona gave me a really expensive titanium bicycle and I would wear there and some jerseys to wear when I raced. Mm-hmm. And at the time that I finished, I was uh, ranked eighth in new England and I, and and I had some really disappointing races too. I felt like I should be doing much better. I, I just was never very good at competing. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I'd get out in the front and I would kind of slow down and wait for people to catch me. I was yeah. much better at like coming from behind, but yeah, You know, it's a, it's a trick, it's tricky business. There's always another level to it. And you know, the farther you go into it, the more dedicated you have to be to keep up. Right. Unless you happen to be somebody with just a ridiculous amount of natural talent, which if you're that good, you know, before you're in college.
1: Yeah. I, I know what you mean about it wearing you out. I, when I first started writing, I kept building up bigger and bigger rides. And I wasn't even going that fast, mm-hmm. you know, but I'd I'd eventually be going on these, you know, like 50, 60 mile rides, you know, that would take me, I don't know, five, five hours or so. That's a long distance. And you're distance. going up like big climbs and that's, so that's, you know, that's half a day right there if you're getting up in the morning to do that. But then when I'd get back, I'd be so exhausted that I didn't want to do anything. So, I mean, it, it was like a day, you know, it was like, I was dedicating my whole day to a ride. And I similarly like back down. I'm like, I, I want to just enjoy like a nice simple ride. And so now I'm more apt to just ride across the bridge, go up Hawk Hill, you know, or do some like 20, 30 mile ride um, where it's like three or four hours. And it's like a part of my day versus the entire day.
0: And to be honest, that's probably healthier for you. More isn't always better when it comes to exercise, right? You realize why these Tour de France guys have to eat all day long. I After mean, you go for a sixteen-mile ride right. and do a bunch of climbs, walk into your kitchen and you just eat everything in sight, mm-hmm. and then collapse and fall down fast asleep on the kitchen floor. <laughs> right. So,
1: what? Uh, how old were you at this point when you were doing the competitive, like road and mountain bike racing?
0: That was um, college and just after college. Okay.
1: So I know, you know, we're leading up to this fitness instructor era. Yeah. Um, which I know there's some more stuff in between, um, you know, before we get there. Um, you, you had told me that you also were a life coach. That's for right. For a period of time.
0: I went back to school for a school psychology and I made it through one semester. And this guy named Chris Cotton from New Hampshire approached me um, through a friend of mine. He found out about me, got my number, called me up. And I set up an interview with him and I went up to New Hampshire and interviewed for a position as a life coach in his business, helping out these children who had had various problems with the law or with school or with their not being able to get along with their parents and they've been sent away to various camps. Like there's all these wilderness camps and mm-hmm. there's, they're pretty controversial when you get in and start to look into them. Cause some of th- some of them are pretty brutal and they'll make the kids sleep outside and, you know, they can get pretty rough, but this one wasn't like that. It was very posh, but uh, these kids really needed some help. And, and he had this life coaching business and, and he, he was paying me more than I probably would have ever made as a school psychologist at the time um and I couldn't refuse it and I went up there and I learned a lot about life coaching from him went on to like dig a little deeper into it. I went and did um, certification with Martha Beck out in Arizona, who's Oprah's life coach and mm. a regular columnist in O magazine. She's amazing. And I learned her North Star life coach hmm. techniques, which which served me really well. And part of the reason why I moved out to the West Coast was because I had a practice, a life coaching practice on the East Coast, and there was always the hump of getting over. Like, what what is a life coach? What do you do? How do you help me? Like, nobody really understood exactly how it worked. Mm-hmm. Because it's like a very, very young and burgeoning profession. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing to get over if you're trying to market yourself and sell something. Now I say I'm a personal trainer, and people immediately have this whole idea of what, what that how is. it works. Yeah, yeah. They're going to pay me some money. I'm going to make them feel better, get them in better shape, and that's pretty much all there is to it. Mm-hmm. So the life coaching can mean a lot of different things. Yeah.
1: And so, I mean you started with these kids at mm-hmm. these camps, but then did you expand that business into other
0: people? I did well? yeah. I did, yeah. I had um, you know, various like small time marketing efforts that I made back on the East Coast and they resulted in clients and I had clients who I met with in person and I had clients who I met with on the phone and I continued that when I came out here to San Francisco. Um had about six clients at one point here in San Francisco who I was meeting with on a regular basis.
1: So, can you think of anybody you really helped out? No, <laughs>
0: no, <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. It, it actually it was remarkable. Like everybody who I worked with um, experienced transformation, and through watching them go through all these different things that they were doing in their lives, that like I felt like I was growing through them and they, they were giving me courage and you know it's um when somebody hires a life coach they you know if you want to just talk if you want to talk about your feelings you go to a therapist and if you want to like accomplish something that you're not able to do on your own then you go to a life coach and a life coach a good life coach will take w- where you are And where you want to be and help you fill in the spaces in between with little tiny turtle steps. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing, no big scary leaps. You just nice, safe, easy little steps that are manageable. And before you know it, you're, you've bridged the gap.
1: Yeah. Can you give me an example of somebody?
0: (laughs) Um, It ranged everything from uh, people coming out of the closet to switching jobs to... Getting out of relationships that they didn't want to be in, uh, to getting into relationships they didn't want to be in, um, to getting into relationships they wanted to be in, I mean. <laughs> and, um, you know, people sometimes moved also. I'd start talking to them and I'd say, What, you know, what does your ideal day look like? Oh, my ideal day, I'd wake up and I'd go for a swim in the ocean and have a nice walk on the beach. And it, I would have all kinds of stuff that really isn't possible in San Francisco. My first thing I'd be like, why are you living here? And they would just say, hmm, that's interesting. And so some people like move to tropical locations. Hmm. And um, yeah, all, all kinds of stuff. My very first uh, life coach client really you know, came to me with one thing in mind. And then it came out as we started talking that really what he wanted to do was be comfortable to come out as a gay man. And that was to see him go through that process and become comfortable with that was probably one of the most gratifying things It really got me hooked into. it, And I thought, wow, this is great. I can really affect people's lives in a positive way. What made you get out of life coaching?
1: It sounds like things were going pretty well for you. You're in San Francisco. You have these clients,
0: you're helping them transform their lives. What made you make, make a transition? You know, um, I probably should have been doing physical training from the time I was entered college but I always I always would think it and then dismiss it because I just never identified myself as somebody who would be a personal trainer I had all kinds of stereotypes in my head about who this personal trainer person is and yeah big they got they got the big dudes. muscles <laughs> and you know the perfect skin and and they're like standing there you know telling you what to do in a forceful voice and that's not my really my training style um so it took me a while to come around to it. But my friend Arlo, who I've known since I was two, he said, he just said to me at one point, Hey, why don't you just get paid to do what you love to do? Cause I've always been wanting, even when I was life coaching these kids, a lot of that would be like, Hey, let's go to the gym. Let's go mm-hmm. for a run. Let's go for a hike. I was always trying to get them to be more active because I knew that made them, made them feel better and it would improve everything else in their life. So, and when I finally came around to it, I thought, well, okay, I'll just, I'll see if I can get past this test and get certified as a trainer. And that may be fun to do some personal training with people, or at least just from my own personal knowledge. I didn't even really take it very seriously when I was setting out to do it. And I got the materials for the exam and I was expected to spend about six months studying them and to get ready for the test. And I was like, looked at them and I was like, Hey, I already know all of this. I've been studying this stuff my whole life. And I just kind of looked it over, sat down for the test, passed the test. And wow, now I have a certification. And my girlfriend at the time was a graphic designer. She made up some cards for me. And, um, I wrote a little personal letter I, got, I went down and applied for a job at Stanford University, Okay. started training down there. And it so that was take, your first gig? That was my first gig. Okay. It was at Stanford. And then while I was at Stanford, I thought I'm going to make some extra, I was working there during the week, training in the faculty and staff out of their gym. And then I thought, you know, I'll get some clients on the weekend too, so I up these. I wrote a little letter and pinned my business card to it and went and knocked on every door on my block over in Noe Valley. And I had, at the end of one hour, I had eight clients signed up. Man, what did this letter say? It said, hey. (laughs) You know, it was really funny because it just basically said, I'm your neighbor (laughs) and I'm a personal trainer and if you want to work out with me, I'll work you out right here in the neighborhood for $35 an hour as an introductory rate Mm -hmm. and the, of course they thought, wow, that's really, that's a really good deal. Yeah. And, but the thing that was interesting was I'd knock on the door and the door would, you know, sometimes not even open. Who is it? And I would say, hi, it's your neighbor Lark. And they'd hear neighbor and the door would just fly right open. Mm. And You know, I think if I'd tried to go to some other neighborhood and do it without the neighbor thing, it wouldn't have worked at all. Right. But the fact that when you live in the city, you maybe have hundreds of neighbors. Yeah. Maybe a thousand people you could call your neighbor. And. So that started the one-on-one coaching for the first time? Yeah, I would just work my way right up and down the street. And I had uh, you know working people out on the sidewalks, at, on the sidewalk in front of their house.
1: Wow! Like what type of workouts were you doing? Like push ups and things like that, sprints down the oh yeah the road? sprinting
0: up and down the roads, um, squats, lunges, planks. I set up uh, the TRX. It's like a suspension training thing. You know, just pulling exercises on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, get, you know, have a little tiny bit of equipment. I'd carry have some bands and stuff. Mm-hmm. You really don't need a lot of equipment to get in great shape.
1: So then how did you transition that into Infinite Fitness, right? Which is the fitness company that you founded, Mm -hmm. right? And and now that you are, that's where you spend all your time, right?
0: Yeah. So at the time that I uh, started training people in Noe Valley on the street, I also figured out that you know, it dawned on me that there's so many people here in the city who want a trainer and who are, want to work out with a trainer that I don't n- really need to be driving down to Stanford five days a week. <laughs> as cool as it was down there and as much as I liked saying that I worked at Stanford. And they, this it was wonderful there. They took really good care of me. I learned a lot. But I, you know, went and applied at Club One um, and got a job there. And it was, I was a, by far the youngest trainer and all bunch of trainers there had a lot of experience. And they took me under their wing and you know, I would just devour everything they would give me, um, DVDs, books, magazines, you know, watching the workouts that they do with their clients, asking lots of questions. So I, felt like I was growing very fast with a lot of good guidance from experienced trainers there. Okay. And then it was about a year and I thought to myself, you know, I don't, I don't need to be, you know, my clients are paying $85 an hour to work out with me and I'm getting $35 an hour. There's a lot of money that I'm making for club one here. And if I'm training 25 or 30 hours a week and I I didn't like, that aspect Mm. on it too much so i started looking for other places i could open my own facility and i had met um my client chris bentley and i was training him and his wife at the time and you know I, i asked him hey is there any do you have any space in your building he owns a bentley reserve right there in the middle of the financial district right and he was immediately sending hey come on over let's look at some spaces we'd love to have you in the building and it was you know all very easy and just happened to fall into the right the right circumstance of having a client a friend who wanted to help me out who had real estate right there in the financial district and what year was this that, that you started that that was. Let's see. I'm not very good with time. Time seems to float by out here in <laughs> San Francisco, and can't hard to keep track of the years as they tick by. But uh, I guess that was about. Um, let's see. It was 2005, 2006. Okay.
1: So when I when I was researching you, <laughs> yeah, before this interview, I Googled you. Okay. And I'm um, kind of looking down the first page, but it's a bunch of normal stuff, you know, your your website, your LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. But then I came across this article from SF Racked, and you were nominated in 2013 as one of San Francisco's hottest <laughs> trainers. That was funny. One of uh, so so somebody out there thought you were pretty sexy. <laughs> Probably. <Yeah. laughs>
0: Probably my girlfriend.
1: <laughs> I think she's the only Tell one. Tell me about this competition. I mean, did you? First of all, did you win? No, I lost really badly. You lost really badly. Yeah. Okay. And the, and the but you were nominated.
0: I was nominated, and they came and took some pictures, and you know, I saw the, some of the other trainers who I was up against, and they were. Are these you pictures
1: know. of you just like flexing in a jockstrap <laughs> or something like that? Um. No. No. <laughs>
0: I left my shirt on. A lot of people did not. Yeah. Well, um. Well, there you go. That's why. That's, that's why you win, yeah. man. Well, no. It was. It's really just pretty much popularity contest. Okay. You know the the trainers who have the big classes and have a high volume of clients and and told everybody all of them to vote for them. I think got a lot of votes, and the ones who have a smaller clientele and maybe didn't market themselves as hard didn't get as many votes. So that's. I think that was pretty much what that contest was about. I don't think there's any real uh, credence behind any one of those people being like the hottest trainer. That's, you know, as I say, it's beauty is in the eye of the (laughs) buttholder.
1: Never heard that one before. I like that.
0: One of my clients told me that he he came up with it on the spot. I thought it was hilarious. So
1: you're a fitness instructor in San Francisco. And I feel like San Franciscans in general are already like very healthy people. They're doing a lot of things right. A lot lot of things right. Um, But how can we... What are some things we can do to be even healthier?
0: Well, I agree with you. San Franciscans are very healthy and there's lots of healthy options for eating. Lots of people exercise a lot. People, you know, mental health too. People do yoga and meditate and talk about their feelings and that's... (laughs) You know, people do spend a lot of time taking really good care of themselves. I think it's a really progressive area in that way. Now, the one thing that I think that San Franciscans could do a better job with that's really simple is you just get out in the sun a little bit more without their clothes on. Cause butt that's n- butt how, naked? It, butt naked would be I, the <laughs> best, but, you know, in... There are some laws against that. From uh, what I understand, there's right. been quite a battle going on down at you know, That's true. That's true. City Hall. And I think that it's come down to everybody can go topless, but nobody can go bottomless. I'm not sure where how that law sits okay. right now, actually.
1: Right. Well, I'm comfortable with that. At one point,
0: you were allowed to be naked, but you just weren't couldn't sit on the public transportation seat or a public bench or something like that. Okay. There's been a bunch of different laws about it. It's pretty funny stuff, really. Right. I've seen them, you know, crowds of naked people rallying down there. Mm-hmm. Pretty small crowds, you know, not right. in the hundreds. That's funny stuff. But um, really what I'm talking about is getting very simply getting most of your body in the sun for five to 10 minutes a day and you will not be vitamin D deficient. And best thing to do is between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m., get out in the sun, take your shirt off, you know, have some. Sh- get out in there in your shorts. And I'm not, I'm not talking about a lot of sun or a long time, just a little bit of sun. And the moment your skin starts to turn pink, your body's making vitamin D. And that's, that's how we make vitamin D. It's, not, it's the only vitamin that's not present in breast milk. Hmm. And that gives us a clue about how it's supposed to be absorbed. Not from our diet, right. people. I don't think that people really understand that, and even doctors will prescribe people take you know massive quantities of vitamin D at, on, on a daily basis and or mega dose on their vitamin D, and then your body still only absorbs a little tiny bit of it. And it's just, it's so it's cold and it's blustery here, and it's pretty much the only part of uh, California that's not sunny and hot. I think that we suffer a little bit because of that.
1: What happens when people don't get enough vitamin D? I know you're not a doctor. Oh, but well,
0: there is a whole list of maladies. I mean, that your 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 chances of uh, getting a whole. I mean, there's a there's there's probably a list like two pages long of all the diseases and cancer rates go up and I, it's pretty it's pretty grim really. It's a it's a real problem. It's a national epidemic. But I think here in San Francisco, it might even be worse than some other areas. And so, so you what? Just, you can't absorb enough through your face and your hands. It's just right. not, or your arms and legs. It's not enough surface area of your body.
1: So tell me about your strategy then. Um, so you're saying between 11 and 2 every day, you know, it would be great to just take your shirt off, go out and get some sun. I mean, yeah. so if I go down to uh, the building uh, where you teach fitness and I'm just kind of walking around the neighborhood, is it likely
0: I'm just gonna see you out walking around without a shirt? How do you do it? No, I mostly just lay down on, in, a, in a park or something on the grass. I have a, I grab a towel from the gym and I walk out to the park next to the Embarcadero centers and I take off my shirt and I lay down there on the grass and I notice like it's a little uncomfortable. People are walking around in suits and stuff. But I suck it up. I feel like it makes me healthier, and I think it makes my skin look not quite so pasty, too. Well, maybe, <laughs> this, maybe this is how you
1: got noticed for um, that hottest SF trainer that competition a few might, years back. <laughs> that
0: might have been it. I think it was one of my clients, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think they might not have put in that recommendation if they'd seen me laying out there in the park without my shirt on.
1: What about... You know, in San Francisco, you know, like I said, people here are pretty healthy, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of temptations for us as well to be unhealthy, right? I mean, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people are foodies here. There's all these great restaurants to go to. Um, You know, there's wine country. There's all this wine that we want to drink. There's all these fun parties to go to. How can people balance both of those? You know, how can you... Have maximum health, but then have
0: have some fun. I want to have a little bit of fun yeah. too, Lark, you know? <laughs> yeah. One thing that really helps is, you know, you got to just pick your battles. Yeah. Where are you going to be good? Like hopefully you can develop some really healthy eating habits at home and during the week so that when you want to go out to eat or you want to go to a party and have a bunch of drinks on the weekend you can blow it a little bit here and there and get away with it right now if you're blowing it every morning when you wake up with your breakfast and then you're eating a uh, poor lunch and then you're going out for a big dinner and you're going out partying and drinking on the weekends that's not going to that's not going to look too good on you after a while how many so, che- how many cheat meals can i have <laughs> a week you know what do you think I usually go with like five or six. Five or six cheap. Five or That's six cheap meals. <laughs> I like that. You know, usually like, well, the way I think about it in general is I'm pretty good during the week. Mm. And then I pretty much blow it on the weekends and manage to maintain a pretty healthy weight. <laughs> um, it's It's tricky. It's tricky in the city. You know, there is a lot of temptation and... And dining out, you can never really eat super healthy eating out. There's, it's just not. It healthy. is
1: easier here in San Francisco versus like eating out in other places. I have found that there are no places doubt. that
0: you can go and eat quite healthy eating out. But even then, you know, they're they're very few and far between where you're actually going to be eating organic, pro organic food 100%, and you know. I mean, eating healthy is pretty much. If you want to say I'm really, really being healthy, what are you eating? You're eating almost exclusively vegetables, and you get some fruits in there, and some form of protein. Hopefully, ideally, beans, nuts, seeds, but. So if, no meats. No, I mean, yeah. Always, it's always, it's always going to be healthier to be vegetarian. Mm. And, um, you know, and this is, comes back to the, it depends too, because some people try to eat a vegetarian diet and they have low energy and they feel terrible on it and they eat a, a meat based diet and they feel much better. So I know some people analyze this stuff through blood type and stuff, but, um, with diet in, even more, perhaps even more than with exercise, it is truly a matter of experimentation mm. and you have to experiment on your body and be aware of how different foods are making you feel Right. and something it doesn't even really take that long. People say, you know, go three weeks without eating dairy, wheat, sugar, caffeine, and then try introducing those things one at a time for a week and see how you feel. I don't think it really takes that long. I think you can go three days without eating any of that stuff and then eat some, eat a bunch of it and you'll know pretty fast how it makes you feel. And I've, I've, done that before um and found out that dairy makes me a little bit sniffly Hmm. sugar like like yeah just like i have Mm. some kind of dairy allergy Hmm. interesting yeah get like a little allergic reaction to it where my i just get a little sniffly like almost if i don't eat dairy for a while and then i eat like a bowl of ice cream the next day and like my nose will be runny like i have a cold Hmm. But it only lasts one day and I will I have fine, great energy and I won't be like contagious or actually have a cold. It's just a little allergy. Okay, And, uh, you know, sugar kind of makes my skin look a little red and inflamed. And wheat kind of makes my stomach puff out a little bit. And none of this stuff is extreme enough to make me not eat it. But it's, it's, I know that all these things are in some way aren't the healthiest and best things for me to eat. Mm-hmm. And vegetables, you will have a hard time finding somebody with a vegetable allergy.
1: Right. <laughs> so let's talk about San Francisco and some of your favorite spots. Um, I want to start with your neighborhood. Uh, what neighborhood do you live in?
0: Dolores and Market.
1: Dolores and Market. So sh- is that? Would you consider that Debose Park or the Mission, or it's right there on the border? You know,
0: I think it's probably Dolores Market. <laughs> it, okay. Honestly, I think it's a mi- it's the Mission, technically. Yeah, I think
1: just the very start of the Mission, right? Yeah,
0: like the very edge of the Mission. Um, there's probably some technical name for it that has to do with Market Street. It, upper. Is it right
1: there by like Churchill, that bar, Churchill?
0: Um, you know, it's. It's about a block and a half from Churchill. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that would be, I guess, it's Debose Triangle.
1: Yeah. Did I say Debose yeah. Park? I yeah. Debose Triangle. Debose Triangle? Triangle in the Mission. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. So I haven't lived there for very long, um, but it's a pretty cool neighborhood. Yeah.
1: So tell me about that neighborhood, and I want to know what your three favorite things to do or
0: places to go are in that neighborhood. Mm. My number one favorite place to go in that neighborhood has to be Byright. Byright, yeah. Right by Dolores Park. Right by Dolores Park. Go down to Byright. They have all kinds of the freshest berries and like artisan cheeses and great wines that you can buy. And I've got to warn you, it's not cheap in there. If you think Whole Foods is expensive, don't go to Byright because it's... It's uh, all specialty items, but you can buy you can buy a bottle of whiskey. You know they've got booze behind the counter, and uh, you can put together. A, the best thing to get there is the um, tuna niswa sandwich. Okay. And like the insider thing that the. It's from their deli, or what? From their deli. Okay. Order the tuna niswa from the sandwich from the deli, and ask them to put some uh, fried onions on it. Grab a bottle of wine. and... Dolores Park is right around the corner. You can go sit in the sun and people watch. It's one of the best places to people watch. you got those beautiful green lawns yep. and palm trees and then that super, super view of downtown San Francisco over the top of the park. Right. And that, that school that's there, um, Mission High, is really cool, beautiful-looking Structure too.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. What else?
0: I like Zuni Cafe.
1: Yep. It's just Love so that place.
0: Been around for so long, and breakfast, lunch, dinner. I'll eat. I'll eat out of there anytime time. They have one of the best burgers in the city, which you can only get at certain times of day. It's like a late night thing. I mm. think after a certain hour at night. I'm never quite sure exactly when you can and can't get it, but it's delicious. Got the little shoestring French fries. This is, this goes under cheap meal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Balsamic Bloody Marys. Nice. Incredible. Yeah. And, and it's also just about, you know, all those windows so much light so in yeah, there. It's a
1: very unique building cause it's like triangular, right? Yeah. And one of those, uh, one of those corners that are kind of triangular. Yeah.
0: And right where that triangle is, that's all the bar seating. Yeah. So you don't need a reservation or anything. You can just roll in and sit right yeah, down and one yeah, of those nice big outside, outside seating as well. Exactly, that cafe
1: seating on the outside. I like, yep. Yeah, I love that place. Okay, yeah, it's a real gem. I um one of the, I don't know if I want to call it a tradition, but one of the things I've started doing is on Friday mornings, um, to kind of replace a workout. I just get up early on Friday, and I walk to um Tartine Bakery. Ooh. So, I mean, I walk right, and I walk right, right by where you city. live, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's three-mile walk from here, you know. so it's a nice 45 minutes to an hour. That's great. But I, I go, I get in line early, and I get the morning bun, mm-hmm. um, which I love. Uh, I, had, I had lived in San Francisco for over six years before I had my first one, and I finally went over there, and I loved it. And so now I just love walking over there in the morning, and then I'll come back a little bit go around the corner to uh cafe stanza mm. do you know where that is no what is Cafe on, Stanza? Um, it's right across the street from monk's kettle so what is that 16th and guerrero maybe mm-hmm. something like that but it's just uh it's just a really cool like coffee shop oh right and on. um so i'll get a coffee there and i'll like work there in the morning and then maybe like get lunch in the mission somewhere but i love walking through um that that you know debose triangle area and like the area around market street right there i think it's really cool
0: san francisco is like a treasure chest and yeah you just keep digging around you're going to find so many jewels and just when you think you got this place figured out there's a 100 new restaurants opened up and 300 new coffee shops and uh, little clothing shops with some handmade thing you would never seen or heard of and right right so you've been in san francisco for how long now Almost a decade here. Almost a decade. Yeah. You pretty happy here? You know, I love it here. I feel very much at home here. And as far as the cities go, this is the coolest city I've ever been in. I love New York. And Paris is awesome. There's Every city has its fun, neat things about it. But San Francisco just has such a nice warmth and friendliness and openness to the people. And so much creativity and the food and the, all the things that you can do around the city. It's, it's really uh, captured my heart. I love San Francisco.
1: I agree with you. No place I'd rather live. So then let me ask you a tough question. Let's say you had to move away. Uh Oh yeah. Hey man, the look you just made was like (laughs) absolute fear. (laughs) Well, let's say for whatever reason you had to move away from San Francisco. And a lot of people Um, do. They do because they can't afford it. Right. How would you spend your last day in San Francisco before you left?
0: Mm, That's a good question. You know, I think that I would have to at least go up to Twin Peaks. And sit up on top of that hill and look down at the city and just take it all in once. Probably have to drink a couple Balsamic Bloody Marys at Zuni. Um, You know, if it was a Sunday, one of my favorite things to do in the whole city is go and walk around Golden Gate Park on a Sunday. And there's no traffic allowed in. And the feeling that comes out of that is very utopian. And it's pretty magical in there on Sundays. You got all these rollerbladers, people taking dance classes. And it's just so quiet and peaceful without the cars. And I I would like to actually see more of that in San Francisco. There's just so many cars in in this city and every city. You take away the cars and the... Here I got on my soapbox. I'm supposed to be talking about my la- last no, day, okay. but <laughs> that's
1: okay. That's anyway. one of the things I love about living here is the walkability that I don't have to drive. Yeah, I'm so much happier when I'm not driving around. Yeah,
0: that was that is one thing that I would not do if I only had one day here in San Francisco. Drive is get into a car. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> try to find parking and somewhere. Yeah, that yeah, doesn't if, sound if like a good day. If you think the traffic is bad during the week, it, so it gets worse on the weekends. Right.
1: Okay, so you're walking around Golden Gate Park enjoying that, then what do you do?
0: After Golden Gate Park? After Golden Gate Park. Then I'm probably strolling right across the city over to Boulevard or Gary Danko, one or the other, and get a steak. Have your last dinner there. Have my last dinner there. and Some fine cocktails, steak, and some fancy dessert that I have no idea what it is, but it melts on my tongue. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I like that. Sounds like a hell of a day. As I thought back on Lark's story, it reminded me of myself a little bit. Uh, Both Lark and I, we grew up in a place that was a lot different and very far away from San Francisco, but our journeys eventually led us here and uh, now we love it and there's no place on earth we'd rather live than right here in San Francisco. So I really liked that commonality as I reflected on our Lark's story there. So if you're interested in getting a fitness session with Lark, go to his website, it's coachlark.com. You can find all of his contact info there and set something up with him uh, downtown, maybe right after work one day. If you wanna read even more about Lark, um, you can go to the San Francisco People website, at sfpeoplepodcast.com from the front page just click on Lark's picture and you can get links to everything we talked about including all of the favor- all of his favorite places that he mentioned in the DeBose triangle and throughout San Francisco. You can also follow the show on Twitter at sfpeoplepodcast and if you have any guests in mind for a future episode of San Francisco People send them my way. I- I'd love to uh, I'd love to hear about them and maybe invite them on the show. So you can tag them with the hashtag SFPeople on on Twitter or you can email me at frank at sfpeoplepodcast.com. Thanks again to everybody for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks. I'm Frank Garza for San Francisco People.